0: It's one of the biggest games on the planet. A derby like no other. Oh, it's two for Split Scouts. And the boy who showed the fan the day he must have dreamed of.
1: Blau und Weiß ein Leben lang. Hallo, meine Leute. Wie geht's? Willkommen zum Das einzigen Schaka Podcast auf Englisch. That's right, folks. Officially the world's only English Shaka Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Carmen. Thank you for tuning back to our show. Shaka fans are some of the greatest fans in the world, many of whom speak English. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues, talk to the English-speaking fans of the club and get their point of view across and bring you game highlights. As always, joining me on the show all the way back from Columbus, Ohio, is my co-host Jack Mangan. How are we doing, Jack?
0: Hey, good evening, Richard. How are you doing,
1: bud? I'm doing pretty well, man. Uh, more importantly, how are you? I'm all right. I'm all
0: right. Uh, recovered from that, what was that, 12 hours of driving or so in about a 24-hour period. So, uh, <laughs> Pretty crazy schedule getting to Columbus for that watch party and back, but uh, I'm back in the uh, Chicago suburbs and ready to go.
1: And how was the the watch party there? I know how it is when I went to Pittsburgh. How was it in Columbus? Yeah, it
0: was a good time. Good little turnout that we got at Land Grant Brewing. Um, always better to uh, you know watch a Schalke match with some fellow supporters, even just soccer fans in general, rather than by myself in my apartment, which is usually how I view most <laughs> of these. So nice change of pace for sure.
1: And, uh, you know, we usually tend to do this podcast alone, but we thought to bring someone else in here just to spice it up a little bit. Um, joining us on the show, um, this is obviously a big week, Of this past week was, so we had to bring on a different viewpoint here, a black and yellow one, if you will. He is from the Studio Inter podcast, creator of the Inter Legend series on SempreInter.com, inter, and... He is known to have a yellow wall in his house. Uh, the Shaka Podcast welcomes back for his second appearance and friend of the show, Critty Smith. Welcome, brother. Hey,
2: geht's? Wie geht's? by b beim b Podcast. Yeah, the Iintegash <laughs> podcast. Wait a minute, that's the wrong podcast. Sorry. Uh, sorry, I thought it was, um, I got disoriented there for a second. I'm on the Shaka Podcast. Oh, hey, Blue and, y- Blue and Whites, what's going on, guys? Don't push it. Don't push it. <laughs> oh, I forgot one more thing. Hashtag Debbie Siga. Oh
0: man. Wow. I'm regretting this already.
2: I am too, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> what do we get ourselves into? Oh, <laughs> uh, just in good fun, guys. Hey, great. I'm doing great, guys. I hope you guys are doing just as well. And staying warm out there as the uh, US is getting a little bit of Jack Frost uh, here recently.
1: Yeah, as we talked pre uh, pre pod, um all three of our cities, uh, Jackson, Chicago. Curtis in South Carolina, I'm in Washington, D.C., and we were all colder than Gelsenkirchen this past weekend, so yes. <laughs> um, it's been a little cold in the U.S. apparently, or maybe it's a little warm in, in, in Germany, who knows. Alright, our first news article is going to come from the Belfast Telegraph. Uh, the title of the article, Jack, is called, Boss Tedesco Bans Relegation Talk. Uh, basically, the way this article is talking about is, um, obviously, coming. If this is coming into the Derby, uh, Schalke were sitting in 12th place, uh, they weren't they were closer to the bottom than they were to the top. Um, and I guess they've heard enough of it from reporters asking them, are they going to be in a relegation zone, blah, 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 blah. He had, be- he all of a sudden, he said, you know, we're banning relegation talk. He says, you know, last year when we were battling for the Bundesliga title or, you know, in second place, uh, they, they didn't talk about, you know, trying to win a title. They just said, we're going to just do what we got to do and, and, and try to get wins. Uh, so I guess he's trying to stick to the same mentality in this one and, and, ignore the relegation talk i think it's uh it's probably a good idea to not try to think about it too much but how can you not right
0: i appreciate where he's coming from, from this but i can't help but feel this is similar to you know bayern munich's burst earlier in the season Where you know they were upset with the journalists for going after their players after a poor start. I mean, like, listen, like, if you have certain results and certain performances, there's going to be questions asked of you, and those questions might be annoying after a while. Not the kind of questions that you want to get, but um, I mean, guess who can control that? I mean, you can control that by changing your performances and and putting yourself in a position where those questions won't be asked. So, um, I mean, I get the frustration and I get the sentiment behind it, but uh, if Tedesco wants to ban. Relegation talk, you should move further away from the relegation zone.
1: Yeah, that would help a lot. Well, get some more wins. Uh, like you said, there's three important games, uh, Bundesliga games coming up in the rest of this, uh, 2018 calendar. So it's a great opportunity to pull away from that zone. You get nine points there and you'd be well away from the relegation zone. So, uh, that will, that will quash any kind of relegation talk there. So, um, moving on to the second article from gold.com. Uh, this is our old friend Jack. His name is Donis Abdiaye. Remember him? I do, I do. Yeah, so this, the title of this article says, I had offers for Man United and Liverpool, this former Schalke wonder kid of the I. Uh, Basically, this talks about how um, coming, up in, coming up in the youth system in Germany, how he was this goal-scoring machine. Um, he, in the youth levels in Germany, he was scoring something like, he had 17 goals for Schalke's U19 uh, side in like 17 games um, in the 2013-2014 season. Uh, for the Germany U17s, uh, he was uh, a scoring sensation as well. But when he got finally to the senior squad, he just for whatever reason couldn't put things together, and he struggled mightily. Um Schalke, you know, sent him on loan several times, and they finally this past summer uh, they let him go on a free to the Eredivisie side. Uh, I want to get this right. Oh man, where did he go to? Um, Willem, Willem two. Willem, Willem too. Yeah. So he's not doing terribly there. He's got I think four goals in thirteen games, but. Um, for once being a, a wonder kid, he is now, uh, stuck in the Eredivisie. Ere and, and while that's a great place for youngsters, um, it's a long place from where he thought he was going to go by, you know, like he said, he was getting offers from United, Man United, Juventus, Liverpool, and, and, and the such. So, um, sometimes pressure, it seems like, for these youngsters are just too much. And if you don't have the right people, um, you know, behind you, you, you start feeding into that. I mean, here in the United States, we know Freddie to do all too well. He started as this fourteen-year-old, the next, you know, phenom, and then he's twenty-nine, and nobody knows where he is or where he's been.
0: I mean, so what was the tone of this of this article? Was he was he blaming Schalke for how it turned out? Like he had offers to go elsewhere, no, and then, like I mean,
1: surprisingly, no. I thought that's where it was going to go. Reading the reading the beginning of the article, but he kind of just said, you know, later on, I, I I didn't handle the pressure well. Um, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have people around me, so I kind of just. Listen to the hype and, and you know, kind of fed into my own ego, and I was kind of, I was kind of the the destroyer of my own of my own um, path, I guess. And so he wasn't really blaming anybody but really himself. He says the pressure got too much for me and I couldn't quite handle it. And um, he's trying to work on that right now and and, and get better in the Vise. So uh, I'm surprised because I thought this for sure was going to be going at Schalke for some reason, like you know, like a Max Meyer tone and saying, oh, it's all their fault, blah 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 blah. But no, he didn't seem like he was going at Schalke at all.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm am disappointed it didn't work out for him. Uh, here, he's a player that I know that we had been keeping an eye on for a number of seasons. Um, just never really ultimately found a way to to break full time into that first team squad. But um, yeah, I really haven't been following his his progress in in the Netherlands. But uh, sounds like he's doing you know halfway decent, and you know I hope that continues and hope he uh, carves out a nice little career for himself.
1: Yeah, as do I. And then, like I said, Eric DeVise is a great place for youngsters. He's still 22 years old. So he is, uh, if he can get it on track there, um, then, you know, who knows where he'll end up. So, um, moving on to the last article that I want to talk about. And it comes from Front Office Sports. Uh, and the title of this one is, uh, to talk about the three versus three tournament in Atlanta. It's called FC Shaka 04 and Kick It 3v3 aim to develop youth soccer talent in Atlanta. Um, the German club and American grassroots soccer tournament tour will host a youth tournament in Atlanta this month, aiding the sports growth in the states. Obviously, uh, in the states, Atlanta just won the MLS cup here. So, uh, stuff, soccer's really going really big right now in Atlanta. And so it's a great time to take advantage of the youth there, um, that, and, and get them into soccer, get them into, um, seeing some big European clubs that they're not used to seeing. So, uh, Schalke and obviously are, are working on this tournament uh in lake point sports complex uh this upcoming weekend the 15th and 16th and so um you know the teams that go there they'll get a youth soccer clinics mascot mascot tours contests um and then like i said uh winners of this tournament will get to go to Gales and kirschen and take uh, take a tour there uh, there may be a sighting of weston mckinney as well on this but uh yeah, it's a, it's a great little tournament in Atlanta. So um, it, it's good to see clubs like Schalke and other big clubs around the around around the around Europe really you know, doing this into the states and really trying to broaden their um, broaden their horizons and and get more people involved, especially the the kids here in America.
0: For sure, if we have any listeners down in Atlanta, definitely go check that out. Especially if you have. Uh, you know, kids that would be interested in participating in that. Um, and as you say, uh, great emerging soccer culture in Atlanta. It's it's incredible what Atlanta United has done in in Major League Soccer in just their second season. Um, you know, that the fan culture and the atmosphere that they've cultivated down there is uh, is is remarkable and really a model for the rest of the uh, of the United States. So it makes perfect sense for a team like Shaka to be uh, heading down there to uh, <clears throat> uh, run some activities and everything. It should be uh, should be a good event.
1: Yeah, and this, and uh, I'll end it with this last word from um, Matt Novogratz, the CEO of Kick It, the the tournament which is going on down there. And his his quote is, "Our global partnership with Schalke continues to drive unique, innovative experiences for soccer players and communities across the country." So, uh, they're they're all doing a great thing there. Schalke are definitely contributing to the growth of American soccer or football, however you want to call it. So, um, from that, Jack, let's uh, bring back Kriti and we can get into some quizzes. Um, so, uh, we're gonna skip over here to, uh, a little game that Jack and I have been playing. Well, I've been playing with Jack. Uh, you wanna play a game, Jack? Um, it's a <laughs> multiple choice game. Uh, well, this week is gonna be multiple choice. And so we're gonna bring in Critty Smith as well to, to join in some of the shock of fun. He may or may not know the answer to these. Um, mm. we'll, this is a special one, so we're gonna have him on here. Let him, well, Jack, let's give him the first question. How about that? Okay. Sounds good to me. All right. All right, number one, Critty, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, Schalke's biggest European triumph was winning the UEFA Cup in 1997. Which Uh Italian team did they beat in the final two legs, home and away? A, Juventus, B, Roma, C, AC Milan, or D, Inter Milan? Inter. (laughs) Very good. I'm sorry, I had to rub it into your face. Yeah, I know that one
2: very, very well.
1: (laughs) That's right. Schalke won that one, four to one, uh, winning the UEFA Cup in that one. All right, let's go to number two and let's get back to Schalke, Jack. So this is for both of you guys. Okay. Um, on May eleventh, two thousand two, Schalke won the German Cup for the fourth time. The uh, the next day, there was a parade held in, this, in to celebrate in the city. Um, what happened during these celebrations? A. The fans started a riot. B. Two players started a fight with a group of fans. C. The coach collapsed. Or D. The cup was damaged. Either either one of you have a guess? In
2: 2002. So that was the year after they lost to Bayern on like a last second Bayern strike in 01. So the team was really good at that time. I can't imagine the fans. That's hard to believe the fans would get into a fight with the team. I I, I guess I'm going to go with the, the trophy was damaged.
1: How about you, Jack? You have a you have a guess on this? I'll go with the same thing. Well, you both were correct. Uh, Shaka's manager, Rudy Assauer, dropped the cup from the wagon on which they were standing. <laughs> After this accident, the cup looked really crooked, and a new one had to be manufactured. Uh, they have won the German Cup five times, 37, 72, 2001, 2002,
2: and 2011. I would like to... Uh, Record that the black and yellow fan is perfect in trivia on the Shockey Podcast, so another win for Dortmund.
1: That's going to be edited up. (laughs) 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 All right, Jack, enough of these fun and games. Let's get get the show on the road. (laughs) All right, so let's get into the game in this one. Um, let's start with the lineups in this one, Jack. And and obviously it's gonna be Ralph Fairman and net. The back four of Kalajiri, Sane, Nastasic, or Chipka. In the midfield you had Rudy in the in the six with Harit, Bentaleb, and Schof joining him. And then up top you had Burkseller and of course Weston McKinney. Um, we're seeing the young American on the on the, playing striker again, Jack. Uh, uh what's going on here?
0: Well, uh, our injury issues at the striker position are well documented. Marku Braylon Bolo, uh, Stephen Skrpic, and and others all unavailable um, due to injury trouble. But uh, you know, you also had Yevhen Konoplyanka, Cedric Toyshir that were available. So interesting to see Tedesco put McKenny once again up top rather than go with one of those two players, particularly somebody like Konoplyanka who's had success uh, in last year's in last year's derbies. Um, but, I mean, McKenny's nothing if not versatile. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it's not too much of a surprise. Uh, Tedesco puts him in, in various positions all the time. I, I just I guess I just didn't expect it on that big of a stage for him to go with, um, you know, a, a player like that up there. I thought he would have tried to do something a little bit more traditional.
1: And uh, things would get more interesting in terms of substitutions, but we'll get to that when we get there. Critty, uh, as far as Dortmund goes, um, their lineup was fairly standard. Berkey and Nett. Uh you had a back four of Peace Diallo, Akanji, and Hakimi. Uh midfield you had Delaney, Witzel, uh Sancho, Royce, and Bruno Larsen, and up top you had Palco Alcacer. Um what was this lineup what, what was Favre's intent in your opinion with this kind of lineup that he put out there?
2: Well, I think by putting Paco Alcacer out there from the start, which is uh, very untypical, normally he comes in for about 10 seconds, scores a goal, and then, you know, packs it up and goes home. Uh, <laughs> he's got like eight or nine goals in like three minutes total combined playing time or something yeah, like it's that. It's be- it's a, it's ridiculous. It, it puts Lewandowski to shame, which is a good thing. So, um, yeah, I think that he meant to set the tone early with that lineup. That is a very offensive mind- uh, lineup. It's... Um, its its intent is obviously on the wings. Uh, you have the speed of Sancho and Royce, and uh, you have the precision passing of Witzel in the middle, who uh, you know rarely, if ever, makes a bad pass. This was uh, this was designed to, to to go ahead early.
1: Yes, and then, so it's a very attack minded lineup, and Schalke's lineup wasn't very defensive at all. So at least there were, it seemed from the start that they were going to at least try to match them or be at least a little aggressive. Um uh, it was notable that pre-game um Joachim Love was in the crowd. He was sitting next to Clemens Donis. Um coming into this one, obviously Dortmund are sitting in first place. Um it's nice to not say Munich is in first place for once, but uh I guess at the expense of Dortmund there. Sorry, critty. Um but Schalke, <laughs> they, they came into a lowly position position of twelfth place. Um not typically where Schalke fans want to be, Jack. Um but when it comes to these derbies, anything can happen. doesn't matter what form you are. We kind of talked about it last week. But um, if, if Chaco is going to have a, a change of fortune, a game like this would, be, would have ideally been the, the opportune time.
0: Oh, yeah, no better time to get things rolling with you know with an emotional win against your biggest rival. So, um, I mean, that might have been able to do wonders for us if we had managed to pull that off. But, uh, yeah, as you say, um, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but people tend to throw form out the window when you come to derbies like this. And uh, I think that mostly ended up being true today. I think it was a fairly competitive match despite, you know, the massive gulf uh, that these two Teams are currently experiencing with with Dortmund leading the table and Schalke very much not leading the table.
1: Yeah, and and and, and this game was only a two two to one affair, but um, history has shown us that this series has typically been a close one. Schalke's won thirty one of these matches. Dortmund have now won thirty three of these with the victory this past weekend. So um, again, it speaks to um, how tough these derbies can be, and it doesn't matter what kind of form you're in. Um, Dortmund were. Obviously, by far, in a much, much better uh, place and better form than Schalke are, but um, they found this match uh, at least tighter than than most people would have thought. Yeah, if you
2: really, if what I, what I look at this match coming into it before kickoff, it's the exact reverse of last season. Uh, Schalke, of course, won both derbies last season, and for those of you who want to tell me the first part was a draw, you know what I'm talking about. So Schalke won both derbies last season, and Mentally and emotionally, these teams are on opposite playing fields this season. Dortmund is uh, emotionally, mentally, physically stronger than they were last year. They have momentum. Schalke, who was in second place for most of last season, riding that emotional wave all of last year, getting a lot of goals at the very death of matches to go to pull ahead one nil or two one. Um, the ball's just not dropping uh, their way this season. They're by no means a bad team. You know, they're going to advance in the Champions League, the round 16, which I'm I'm very, you know, as German clubs go in the Champions League, I'm very proud of them for that. Um, and it, it's but it's just it's a, it was apparent from body language and from recent form that, uh, you know, these two teams are heading in, in vastly different directions. Nineteen points separated them before the match. Now nice. twenty two. So, you know, last season this uh the second match uh, I believe it was uh second place versus third place if I'm not mistaken, either second versus third or third versus fourth or whatever um uh the stakes were a little bit higher at that time due to champions League positioning, but uh yeah you just you, you don't see the Schalke energy from last season is all but depleted at this point as we entered the match uh last Saturday.
1: and Jack he's talking about energy and stuff and and the crowd is very raucous in the beginning of this one and I thought the, I was at least hoping that the team would feed off of that. Um, it didn't, it didn't start out that way, unfortunately, because it seemed like Dortmund were on the front foot from the beginning. Um, uh, Hakimi, uh, he got involved really early. I think in the first or second minute, uh, he get, he gets a shot over the bar and it had to be signaling intent the right there, Jack, that, that Dortmund were coming to attack, attack hard, um, getting away with one right there early.
0: Well, I will say that that Schalke came out um, with some fairly aggressive pressing from the strikers. McKennie and were seemed to be pretty hyped up from the crowd and were sprinting and you know trying to close people down. So I mean there was some energy from the team in that respect. But uh, but yeah, there's a there's a chance very early in the match. Um, I forget if that if that was one of the ones that started off with with Sancho or, or not. But um, uh, yeah, Schalke seemed to start off defensively with not a ton of width, which was Curious and you saw a couple times early on that they, you know, uh you know, late runs from Hakimi or somebody else getting into wide areas causing problems, and that one was luckily uh you know flashed pretty far with the bar, but decent opportunity couple minutes in.
1: Yeah, and that like I said that that started making things known that, that Dortmund was ready to ready to come and score. Uh it did not take very long. It took really only seven minutes. Um, pretty, uh, you guys had a free kick. Uh, Mark, uh, Marco Royce had an opportunity to free- to kick it in. As soon as I saw the kick, you know, getting lined up, I'm thinking, oh no, this is not going to end well. Um, he, he kicks it in. Um, it seems like Thomas Delaney was unmarked. Uh, Sane didn't do really that great of a job on him. And he,
2: well, see, now Sane, Sane, Sane was taking the blame for it. But if you look at it a little bit closer, uh, at least the commentators over here said that McKinney lost his man. That was a, that was yep. McKinney's mark. So yeah. uh, San- Sané was uh, very upset <clears throat> about that. You could see him uh, after the goal was scored, uh, vis- visibly uh, frustrated. Uh, but that wasn't his marker. So uh, yeah, yeah, if this is if my if my memory recalls correctly, I believe it was McKinney that lost Delaney on the kick.
0: CJ. No, I I think I think you're correct. So like, I mean, once again, my initial experience watching this was was at a bar so I, I didn't get a very good look at a lot of things and it was only until i rewatched this match um later that i saw this but you know my my initial impression when i was watching this at the watch party was that it was sane who had, had lost him but um i i do believe it was McKenny. delaney was kind of on McKenny and then, and then ghosted um outside of the box and uh-huh. when, he, when he did that this is like right before the kick ended up coming in and when he did that, McKinney just lost him, and then he came sprinting back into the box and ultimately completely unmarked. It just looked like Sané had missed him because he ended up kind of in front of him. But uh, definitely, I think Weston McKenney was the one who lost him in the shuffle. And uh, f- he can't be allowing free runners into the box five minutes into a fixture of this importance. Um, big mistake, and uh, Dortmund capitalized on it as well they should.
1: And it seems obviously, uh, Critty knows what I, where I was going to go with this because I was alluding to that. Sonny had the had the uh, lost his man, but really, what it was, it was McKinney. And I'm glad both of you guys brought it up because, like I said, at first sight, it does seem like Sonny is the one who loses it, he, and he's losing his 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 shit, if you will. Uh, yeah. The goal goes in, <laughs> but then you then you obviously see in the replay that it was McKinney, in fact. So um, good on both of you on to spot that. Um, that's never good to go down early in a derby like that from Shaka's perspective, Jack. Uh, they've struggled all season long to get goals. Uh, what were What were you thinking? Um, I know you were at the watch party when, when this goal goes in.
0: I mean, it was like the uh, the first half of the first derby last year all over again. Yeah. Um, Dortmund coming out flying and and scoring uh, far too easily to start this thing off. So, um, yeah, I mean, not not an ideal start but you stretch of the imagination, especially when you give up a goal that cheaply. Um, I mean, Dortmund is playing phenomenal football this season, scoring goals at will, but uh, you got to make him work a little bit harder than that. That was um, a, a very cheap goal to concede, in my opinion.
1: Critty, it seemed like um, Shaka were, were trying to get back into the game right away and then trying to get it through I Amin mean, Harit. Um, I Amin mean, Harit is a very elusive player, and it seemed like uh, Dortmund were very content with knocking him down and getting some fouls. Uh, I know uh, there was a yellow on him. Uh, I don't know if it was Peace, peace check or who it was, and then a little bit later... Uh, Alex Witzel got him down. And, um, was this uh, part of the game plan just to slow this man down because uh, you don't want this guy to run around and and do all the tricks and passes that he that he's known for doing
2: absolutely uh, he's uh, you know technically he's gifted on the ball, so you know you, you, there, this was a message that was being sent that we're going to be physical with him, and that's just the same kind of message that a lot of people you know would send a young Mario gutsset you know if you're talking five six years ago. he's smaller guy, very fast, very shifty, but you can body him. And if you body him up, then, you know, he loses a lot of his uh, a- attributes that he brings on the pitch. So, yeah, that was a definitely part of the strategy, if you looked at it, was to, was to body up Harith. But uh, I did think that after the goal, that Schalke took control of the game uh, in, in, in various spurts. You know, there was um, – they did string together a few uh, attacks, and I thought they had pretty good possession there. It was, you know, just a matter of um, they, they were they were the aggressors. Also, I'd say, you know, for uh, a large part of the second part of the second of the first half. So, you know, they they rebounded nicely. Of course, uh, that goes without saying. They didn't score a goal, but I, I thought that they they didn't let things. Where Jack alluded to the fact that it looked like the Derby from last season, November. Uh, it did. They did not allow it to slide into that. They did not allow themselves to get caught up and uh let one become two and two become three as far as the deficit they were able to cut things off very quickly I thought that they pressed very well after the goal was scored and I thought that Schalke in like I said in 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 certain aspects uh took control of the game Uh, Dortmund did have um, some difficulty getting the ball uh to their players for the precision passing uh you know Schalke was there they you know their defensive team that is what their strength is Uh, Schalke's defense is uh well documented since Tedesco took over, and you know they they, they showed a lot of that. Uh, if if you go back to the uh, after the goal and then uh, going into the uh, latter parts of the first half,
1: Jack Curtis uh, right. I mean Shaka did uh, while they were getting beat on the on the shots counter, um, Dortmund were getting better the shots. Uh, Shaka were getting a lot of the possession in this one. Uh, they just seemed to be missing the final third uh, as far as getting shots on target, but they were doing really well, I thought, to recoup and. And and gained back some of that possession in that first half, and I think they ended up the first half uh, with more possession than, than Dorman.
0: I'd like to say that that's just you know uh, a result of the lack of striking options that we have in this one. But uh, I mean, let's be honest, we, we've struggled to score goals all season long. This is a team that just really doesn't understand how to attack at all. Um, it's just kind of become the theme of the season, and even even last year to some extent. Um, and uh, no, I, I I agree. I think I think we did a decent job. Um, controlling the game. And we seemed like we were in control for the most part. We just didn't end up doing anything with it. And uh, r- that, that possession very rarely led to anything uh, of substance. But, um, I mean, I guess if that's uh, the offensive limitations you have, it's better to just kind of hold on to the ball and see out the match than, than let Dortmund have it because, you know, when, when, when they're in possession, they're going to be a lot more dangerous than you are.
1: Before I get any further, there's a player I want to talk about because he had an interesting game. He started out very hot he got really cold and then got hot again. And I'm talking about Jaden Sancho. Um, he started up the game blistering, he tearing down the left-hand side and doing anything, pretty much anything he wanted. Tricks galore he was doing it, and keeping possession. Pretty, um, it seemed like Schalke had no answer. Every time he got the ball, I'm yelling, someone tackle this guy as hard as he can. But he's so elusive. and He's been doing this kind of stuff all season, hasn't
2: he? Yeah, he has. And that's, uh, he was going down that right wing, uh, you know, and, and, he basically had two defenders on him most of the time. It, it, to me, I will say this, uh, uh, holding onto the ball a little bit longer than I would want because he would end up actually getting caught in the corner. But unlike uh, Christian Pulisic found himself in many times last season on that same right wing, Jaden Sancho did was able to pass it out and back into the uh, the midfield area and start the attack anew. Uh, a lot of times, Christian Pulisic got, got put in that corner, uh, almost like in a boxing match, and just couldn't get himself out. And either turn the ball over, or uh, you know, it'd be a, a goal kick for the for the other for the uh, opposition. But uh, Sancho has unbelievable on ball skills. Uh, it's I, I think it's it's a matter. He's still 18, 19 years old. It's a matter of now fine tuning that, and that's where you're talking about where he went cold. Because you know, with that comes in experience comes a lot of turnovers, a lot of uh, not knowing what to do with the ball in certain situations, when to pass it, when to hold on to it. He can get around that last defender with the best of them. He can cur- t- turn that corner and he gets himself in a position for a beautiful cross. But Schalke knew this, what he wanted to do. And and you could see the double teams. And even sometimes I think there were cases where it was triple team. And you could see the entire Schalke defense um, uh, shift to that side of the pitch. And they were simply not going to allow him to maneuver freely on that side by himself, you know, basically un- uncontested. So they, I think that they adjusted well to what you're talking about at the very first part of the game. The stuff that comes later we'll talk about, but that's just individual effort that I, I think the game opened up after that and both teams were going for a win. But yeah, he he cooled down towards the um, the end of the first half. Uh, Schalke had an excellent, excellent counter uh, to his individual brilliance on the ball by just simply uh, sending more nu- more numbers than he had. Um, you know, if it's, it's two on one, three on one, there's not a lot you can do with it. Doesn't matter how gifted you are on the ball. Yeah, I,
0: I think I think Jaden Sancho had a very good sort of bookend performance, the beginning and the end. But um, I, I think Baskin Ochipka actually deserves a lot of credit for the job that he did on him, sure, sort of in sure. the in in the middle of this game because he was very physical and there was a there was a number of even just one. I mean, you talk about double and triple teams, but there was a number of like one on one battles that Ochipka just straight up won. Mm-hmm. Against Sancho, which is which is pretty impressive, and um, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, as much as I love my boy Jakob Brun Larsen, um, he's not going to be able to carry the Dortmund attack. They're going to try to be funneling it through Sancho, right? So if you can kind of get him into a cul-de-sac and turn him around, it's definitely going to inhibit Dortmund's ability to do stuff.
1: And Jack, exactly what I was going to bring up is that Ochipka did pick his game up and, and did, you know, start shutting down Sancho. I mean, Harit actually did a lot of good also coming back and backtracking and, and try to stop Sancho. Maybe part of that was, Hey, I'm the showboat here, not you, and try to minimize that as, as well. But I did, I do, I agree with you that Ochipka did, did step up his game, at least in the middle part of the game to kind of shut him down for a, for a period of time. But, uh, we'll get to that a little later, obviously. Um, you know, having McKinney up top, Jack, uh, he was he was putting a lot of good pressure on there. You know, he's not a striker. Um, his his job would get harder as the day went on. But there was a play, and I want to say it was around the 27th minute or so. Um, uh, it was a first Rudy, of all people, setting up an overtop pass to Berkseller. Um, he gets on the end of it, ends up going to the corner. Result of the corner, um, Berkseller ends up getting a point-blank shot that was saved by Berkey. Um, this was an impressive play. Play. I mean, I ultimately, I think the play would have come back because um, it looked like it may have been a handball by by Burke Steller on the on the on the play. But um, great save by Berkey uh, Critty, uh Berkey's having a big bounce back uh, of a of a year compared to last year, isn't he?
2: Absolutely. Uh, this guy's night and day over where he was last season. But you know, a lot of that, guys, I think, has to do with the confidence that he has in his in his front and his uh, back four. Uh, You had such a high line last season with Bosch in his same exact game, which is what enabled Salkett to take four goals deficit and turn it into, to an equalizer later in the game, because of also the personnel, you had slow Socrates and slow Toprock and slow Schmelzer and players like that. But he has full confidence in this, this, this back four that has proven to be uh, just some of the best transfers Dortmund's made in recent times, a uh, you know, the, the, the addition of, uh, Hakimi from Real Madrid. You I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, brilliant, brilliant transfer work. And I think that's given Berkey a lot more confidence as well. I think, you know, a, a lot of that keeper stuff is mental. And I think that he has a, a, a much better mental, uh, you know, I say placement this year than he had last year. That, that's helped him, I think, up his game. Cause I tell you, um, he, he looks to be to me right now, I, I, I know people are going to kill. I, I think he's honestly better than Neuer right now. I, and and I, I think a lot of people that look at the numbers can agree with me. I think over the long, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you look at the careers, they would say, you know, you're insane. You know, Neuer's a legend, but if you look at where we stand right now, t- who's a better keeper in Germany in the Bundesliga right now than Roman Gurke. he's playing German. some of the best football it's of his mask. life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Um, I mean, I, I, I hated on the guy last year, so I, I have to do a 180 and, and give the guy full credit that, that he has absolutely turned his playing career around. I don't know if the addition of hits had something to do with that because, you know, he was also a quite the competent goalkeeper in Augsburg. He could hold his own. Um, he's already filled in for Berkey once this season and done quite well in that role, so Having someone other than Bidenfeller over your shoulder who you know is not going to be a serious threat to take your job might also have inspired him. But I think it's I think it's some of the purchases Dortmund made over the summer and um you know just a better mental mental uh placement right now in his career uh that's 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 brought his game up. But yeah, you're right. He's 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 done a complete 180.
1: Jack, and I kinda wanna I don't want to, but I am going to Uh, slightly criticize the guy who took the shot on that, and that's Bergstahler. While he is so hardworking, he's probably, he's probably the hardest working guy on the team. Um, it's again and again, week in, week out, we seem to talk about how he misses quality opportunities in point blank situations where, um, I, I, will I say they're gonna, they would take the goal back had he scored? We don't know that for sure. Uh, the one thing I do know is he, he didn't get it, uh, didn't get a goal there. Um, how frustrated are you getting with, with missing quality opportunities like that? I mean, very much
0: so. And, and while I agree with you know most of what Critty just said about Berkey, I, I think that was just a shot that was basically right at him. Honestly, um, I mean, he got low and got in position to save it, but um, that's really just not that great of an effort from dollar And he used his hand to bring it down, which was not the only time in this match that Bergstaller employed the use of a hand. Um, so I mean, you're obviously not gonna be able to convert anything when you're you know doing illegal things to get yourself in position. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a point blank opportunity um and he you know he, he gives the handball and then kicks it right at the goalkeeper and he, especially in a match on this stage you just got to be better than that and it is frustrating um you know, uh, it, it's hard to criticize birch Dollar, as you say because he is so hard working and he's a fan favorite as a result of that you know he, he does so much um grinding away and, and you know chipping at defenders trying to create opportunities for the rest of his team. Um, he was, you know, he was, he's often taking on two or three guys at once, it seems like, and kind of holding them off with his strength and everything. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you, you got to score goals. And uh, he has not been efficient enough this season at all.
1: I was wondering,
2: actually, because they kept saying it. I know Stefan Freund, who was the commentator over here on Fox, he kept saying, oh, well, it would have been disallowed had he scored the goal because he brought it down with his hand. So I wonder if they would have actually gone to VAR to review that.
0: I would yeah. think they would have because there was a number of Dortmund players that immediately singled for a handball when it happened. Berkey, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, if that had gone in and they hadn't checked it, despite the Dortmund players' protest, I would have. I, I mean, that would have been pretty egregious officiating oversight, in my opinion. But
1: yeah, yeah. So, if the game wasn't hard enough as it is, um, in the thirtieth, Sané picked up a dumb yellow for mouthing to the referee. Uh but then it got worse in the thirty sixth minute uh Bergstaller would go off with an injury. Um and then the substitution was the interesting bit here. Um Hamza Mendo would come on to play striker for Bergstaller. Um I know Shalka Jack are thin up top, but what was the substitution there? <laughs>
0: As I mentioned earlier, you have Konoplyanka and Cedric Toysher on the bench. I mean, yes, I know that we're thin with, with options, but you're gonna <laughs> in a in a derby against Dortmund down a goal, you're gonna have your two strikers be Weston McKennie, a central midfielder, and Hamza Mendiel, a, a pretty raw, unproven left back, like. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just, I just don't understand it. Like, I, I appreciate Tedesco's inventiveness and his willingness to to break molds and and not get stuck in his ways and try new things. But this is not this is not something I can I can, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt on. Like, what you what are you doing? I, I mean, it, Critty, is there any way that you can defend that?
2: No, I, I I can't. And I the first thing I thought of when they made that move, if you guys remember back to the old Fifas, like Fifa 2008, Fifa 2009. If you put a player who played a certain position out of position, so in other words, if you put a, 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 a left back and put him at striker, it would it would take their their overall rating from like a ninety to like a sixty six. Yeah, because they because it's not it's out of position. So the first thing I thought was that you could you know now if you do it in FIFA, it's like well if you're a ninety midfielder, you're a ninety goalkeeper, you're a ninety left back, it's whatever. But back in the day, you used to get punished for that. And I thought the first thing that came across my mind was man, I think Tedesco might get punished for this because it made absolutely no sense. The, I, I You know, Jack, you said you were watching it in, in a bar. Let me assure you that the commentary <laughs> had uh, a lot to say uh, about that move. You know, uh, Stefan Freund, for example, I mean, they were baffled about the the personnel change uh, when Bukstahl went off an injury. I mean, that is, I I, I want to say, you know, yes, com- commend him for doing something a little bit gutsy and out of the box, but you have other scoring options. Yes, they're not world beaters, but they are actually naturals to the position on the bench, and you decide to go with that move. So, yeah, I, it was a head scratcher to say the least. Um, I can't defend it in the in the least.
0: The only thing I can think of is that um, you know, with, with Bergstaller and McKinney, he was going with. Players up there that that have you know an excellent work rate and, and can pressure and close things down, and so maybe bringing in Mendel was another guy that he thought could could do some work in the pressing game up top. But like, I mean, as you say, there are other options. Kind of Plianka scored in the derby last year. Yeah, he did. Like, I just, I mean,
1: yeah. It, uh, it, part it, of me wanted to think it was you know. Birkshaw and McKinney were up there, but they were getting beat on pace. Uh, uh, Kanji and, and Diallo were just so much faster than anything Shaka had out there. So I, I was thinking maybe they brought in Mendil for the speed, but I mean Koneplianka is fast. So, but,
0: but here's the, here's the thing: even with Mendil, is like Mendil's fast, yeah, but he's weak, dude. He's not. He's not and that's strong. Gonna up. He can't get and also, also, his crossing is super suspect right? for a left back. This is not a Bastian Ochipka. Or Calgary in terms of the ability to cross things I mean like and he just got bodied by a kanji on multiple occasions and honestly Berkseller was too a kanji was playing phenomenal like Stonewall defense but um so many times uh, Mendo got the ball up top and just got absolutely knocked off of it like you know he was a, pa- like a a a you know paper doll or something I mean he was he was just completely out of his element in my opinion
1: and none of that showed more than like uh, it was so evident early on and i think it was like 39th minute or 40th minute or something like that there was a good counter attack uh, bentaleb saw mendiel running he tried to give him a pass and, and mendiel who's not a typical striker didn't read that pass and missed a quality opportunity to to get on maybe a 1 on 1 against Berkey or something um so it, it was frustrating to see that uh, first the substitution that was made and then the the lack of uh, of quality that was coming through from Mendil because he was getting pushed off the ball like you said on a kanji missing not reading the the runs and passes by his by the other players um, it seemed like every pass that was meant to go to Caligiri was not hitting between McKinney and and, and Caligiri on the right hand side so it was a whole whole world of mess going on for Schalke um, and, and while Schalke kept on with with the um, Majority of possession in the first half. I think Dortmund at the very end started to come back on, uh, regaining some of that momentum. I think going, taking into halftime. Um, so they went into the halftime one nothing. Uh, looking at the shots, uh, Dortmund were leading six to three on shots. Schalke did have two 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 corners to nothing for Dortmund. Um, that really didn't matter, and I think possession was actually 50-50 or fifty one forty nine. So um, while it seemed very close in the first half, I think. Um, Schalke really didn't pose any kind of a threat to Dortmund. Uh, is that how you saw it, pretty uh,
2: Yeah, they like, like I said, they they had possession uh, for large uh, periods of the first half. They had, uh, and here's what I was going to go with: they they had they had good opportunities which they couldn't convert, and that leads me back to this whole Mendel thing. You just made a point, Richard, about being able to read the game. Well, if you're you know, you're, you're able to read the game from your position, a left back can read the, the game, you know, from his perspective and, uh, you know, a, a number six can read the, the game from his, from his perspective. How does Mendel go from being in the back, a back line to being into to, to, to having these automatisms in in attack? Like, how do you expect him to be able to operate with the midfielders in conjunction and and have these scoring opportunities when he doesn't have experience doing that. That's that's where I'm lost on Tedesco's thought. I'll, and and I follow Shalka, but not nearly as close as you two. So correct me if I'm wrong, but is Mendel is has, has he played a lot of strikers this season that I don't know? I'm un, unaware of. No, absolutely no, not, not at all. Not at all. So just the whole decision because you're in a derby, you're down one nil. You need goals on a team that doesn't score a lot of them due to injury and due to. Just the way that they tactically approach games, I, it just if you want to win this match, it just didn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, it was certainly a head-scratcher. Um, and there was a glimmer of hope, at least from me, I thought. I noticed during halftime that Tedesco was talking to Toiker, talking to Konoplyanka. Um, and so I was wondering, would we actually see them? Because that's a good sign he's talking to them. Uh, we would not see them, not least until later. Uh, Jack, that uh, I don't know if you saw that during during halftime at the bar, but um, I was certainly being optimistic at that point. I was like, oh, maybe he's going to bring in both of them at half to, uh, to start the second half, and then we'd have a new new formation. But uh, that wasn't to be, and Mendel started the same way where he started uh, in the first half. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I guess the Bergstaller injury happened fairly late in the first half, so there was only about what, like. Maybe eight minutes or so yeah. of of Mendel game time um, before halftime. But you would have thought that even that eight minutes, it would have been fairly obvious that that was not working, and that he would have made another change at halftime. Um, surprising to see us trot back out to start the second half in, in that exact same setup, um, and uh, you know it had the pretty much the same result as it, as as what happened in the first half.
1: Now, while the the offensive side of the game wasn't going that well for Shaka. I thought they were doing a good job of, uh, disturbing Dortmund's, uh, rhythm, I guess, and, and throwing them out. So they, Dortmund didn't seem like they're normal. If you watch Dortmund games throughout the year, and, I, and obviously Critty has, um, they have a little flow to them during the games. They got this attack going and it usually builds during the game. I thought Shaka did a really good job of, of interrupting that for the most part and not letting them get into kind of any kind of rhythm, um, forcing the game to be a lot closer than it, than it, than it could have been.
2: Yeah, um, I, I I think that if you look at overall Schalke's game plan, uh, I don't think it was I don't think it was bad, but it's just you know some uh, it was really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that they pointed out over here, you when they when they would go back on the wide camera angle, you could clearly see the four four two diamond of Schalke. Uh, you know, and and and. One of the things that I think about that formation, um, and I don't know that that Dortmund didn't take more advantage of it, or they could have taken more advantage of it, was that leaves the wings wide open for exposure. Well, what does Dortmund have in spades on the wings? They have speed. Uh, so I, I guess, um, you know, the way that the Schalke has approached the game, I was surprised that uh, Favre didn't have more of, I guess, I don't want to say he didn't know what, what, you know, how to attack it, but maybe um, not be, I, I was looking maybe for more aggression. I, I think, uh, you know, if you look at the first 10 minutes uh, that was um, Dortmund's uh, probably 10 of their best minutes of the entire match, actually took the lead and they kind of backed off. And I'm thinking, you know, the way that shock is set up, the way that their formation is keep, keep attacking, keep attacking, but either one of two things, either Dortmund let off the gas or, Schalke was able to quickly uh, do a 180 and turn things around and, and, and keep Dortmund at bay. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, o- overall, I think that the um, the halftime score was a deserved 1-0 deficit for Schalke, just based on the way that things, you know, kind of uh, went down.
0: Well, particularly, I mean, I agree with you, particularly down Caliguri's side of the pitch. Um, I mean, Bashino Ochipka was... Pinned back a lot from from Sancho, so there wasn't a ton of room for Dortmund to exploit. But cali Drury kept getting forward, and I, I think you're right. From you know, sort of uh, formational aspect, I mean, there was a lot of space in behind that they could have exploited. They really just didn't seem to be able to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah I agree. Um, so moving on, uh, uh, there's a play in the game that I want to talk about because I know it's uh, both of you have uh, interesting viewpoints on this one, and that's in the 58th minute. Uh, I mean, Harit taken down in the box. Uh nothing called at first. And uh I'm I'm screaming penalty, but it's because I I'm a shock fan. This is what I do. Um <laughs> so eventually the referee decides he's gonna go to VAR. As he's going to check it, uh Nastas comes up to him trying to get nosy, whatever. He gets a yellow card for infringing on his space. VAR, he goes to VAR, it talks VAR, and it turns out uh it's a penalty. Uh do you both agree? Let's start with let's start with Critty first. Yeah.
2: Um no, I don't think there was enough contact for it to be a penalty. I think if you look at it in, in 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 real time, maybe you think that, but if you if you really if you rewind it, I'm not just saying this because I'm a Dortmund supporter. You know, um, I've listened to a couple other podcasts from Germany uh, that kind of recap the game, and they have talked about that that spot ad nauseum uh, with the penalty, and the consensus is that just. There wasn't enough there, and um, I don't know about you guys. I, I, I felt like that Schalke were trying to – I felt like they were intentionally trying to, to engage in contact in the box to try and get a penalty uh, after – I felt like to a certain extent that they felt like that was their only defense to equalize was to get a penalty because they knew – that they were not going to be able to score from open play. They were either going to get a corner, a free kick or a penalty. And to me it seemed like uh, a couple times on very little or minor contact that they were they were dropping like flies. Uh, I just just my perspective. I don't know if you guys agree, disagree, but and, it, and if that's the case man, you do what you have to do to win. I understand that. That's this is football and this is a Revere derby and you don't, you know, Chalk is not at their fittest. They don't have all their 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 men on the, on the on the pitch but um it it seemed to me that they were that was kind of their strategy going into the second half a little bit like hey if you if you can get a dive in the box take it and we'll see what happens and that's why you know i shook my head when that happened i was like that's bullshit no way no way no way no way no way and you know they, they equalized they sent uh was it um who, who took that penalty i forget was it bentaleb
0: it was calajuri because bentaleb had been subbed bentaleb. Off. been subbed yes. off,
2: right because bentaleb's whole thing is he's never missed a penalty in the bundesliga so that yeah that's right he was off um yeah i just um it seemed a little cheap to me guys um you know obviously you, the player has to step up to the marker and has to put it in the back of the net which uh he did but um yeah i just i i can't say that like yeah that was a that was a penalty. That was that was clear, 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 clear
0: contact, clear penalty. So here's what I'll say. Uh, I mean, first of all, I don't know if I necessarily agree that Schalke was looking for a penalty on a number of different occasions. I will I will say that I think that Harit dove on an earlier sequence where Peace Check got a yellow card for a yes. tackle on Harit, where there was basically no contact at all, and Harit really sold it there. Um, so I mean, I I think that would be probably a good example of it. Um, as far as this particular sequence goes. So once again, watching from the bar live, I did not think that was a penalty at all. And I actually tweeted out something to that effect. Um, to me, it it looked like Royce had just gotten good body position and won the ball and we just kind of ran into him. Um, I had a number number of people that hopped on Twitter and were like, no, dude, watch the replay. Watch the replay. It was, it's a clear penalty. Um, Going back afterwards and taking a closer look at it. I mean you do see that Royce Steps on Harit's foot. um, And so I guess that's what they're Saying is is, is the is the foul um, is that moment um, and and I understand that Um, So I I guess I I guess I get why it was called but Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I still don't necessarily think that Had he not stepped on Harit's foot Harit was gonna win that ball anyway so it seems – I mean, I understand from a Dortmund perspective why that's why that's frustrating then just because I, I think regardless of whether or not that foul is committed, like, Royce wins that ball and there's no opportunity for Harit. Um But, uh, I mean, going back and seeing it, I mean, I, I, he does step on him and, and I mean, I guess – I don't know. it's it, it, that's one of those ones even like as a Schalke fan I'm just kind of like eh, like whatever like I, I I wouldn't have been I guess I wouldn't have been upset if it hadn't been called.
2: Yeah, but I mean I'm like, not saying by any means it's Raheem Sterling level of flop. Like that's not what I'm saying at all. Like that's <laughs> that's um but but if and I know you're going to say bullshit Creedy that's not true. If I were watching this match and and Royce did that in the Westfalen Stadion I would be I would say that's a cheap goal. I would say that that is that is not the way that I want to win a derby is for Royce to flop or or take a light contact or a light bump and fall and, and you know I mean I I know that it's the romantic in me wants to say a guy goes up and says, "You know, referee, I wasn't I wasn't fouled, don't give him the penalty." That's never going to happen. The, the 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 fairness in that is long since gone in in modern football. But you know that's why we have replay, and I felt I felt like once they watched it on the replay, I said, oh, "Okay, now that I've seen it, now that the commentators have seen it, we're gonna this thing will be cleared up. It's gonna be a you know a, a no call." And when they gave the penalty, that's where I, after after VAR, that's where I was more shocked is the fact that VAR I felt like was going to clear that up, and it actually I, I I guess strengthened the argument and or didn't weaken it. So I that's why I was a little bit that's a little bit disappointed that they Schalke kind of equalized on on that but i and and i i mean this in, in most utmost uh, sincerity if had it happened if the shoe were on the other foot i would not I, I i'd take the goal but i'm like yeah okay well it's one one but you know guys don't be proud of that that's not you, you didn't you know that's not something that you guys from open play that you earned and and and, and got so
1: that's how we felt that's how we felt really i mean uh I thought the same way that, you know, both of you guys really saw it. At first I thought it was a, a, a stone cold, a stone cold penalty, but then I'm looking to replay and I'm like, eh. And I'm thinking like, you pretty, like, it's going to go to VR and they're going to say there's no way they're going to call us a penalty. And then they right. came back with a penalty. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I'll take it, but, uh, we got away with one there. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do take
2: it. You do take it, but it's not, um, yeah, it's just, it, 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 it kind of feels hollow, you know?
0: pretty I think you're directing your anger at the wrong place. You shouldn't be angry at Harit. You should be angry at friend of the show, Phil Bonney, <laughs> Bundesliga the commentator, and here's why. Uh, last week, before, before the Hoffenheim match kicked off, he basically predicted that Schalke were going to sit back and, and hope for a, ben, a penalty that Bentaleb could convert, and that was the only way they were going to score, and that's exactly what happened. And yeah, yeah. Once Bentaleb got subbed off, Phil Bonney said, well, it's gonna to have to be Daniel Caligiuri who's gonna take anything if Schalke are to get a penalty. So he has spoken these <laughs> penalties into existence two consecutive weeks in a row.
2: Nostradamus, His, you're yeah, absolutely is, right about that. You're absolutely yeah. right about that. That's it, it, and that's the that's the weird thing. I think that's where my mind's going, Jack, is the fact that I think that's it's like okay, we tried it for 45 minutes from open play, it didn't work. Everybody flopped. Just when you if you're in the box, just drop like a sardine in a can. And I'm like. That's, that's, if you listen, you know, there's a lot of good podcasts overseas as well that just, that that have, that talk about the Bundesliga and it's like every week you hear about, well, how's Schalke going to score goals? How's Schalke going to score goals? And it's like, well, easy, they're going to get penalties. And I'm like, that's, that can't be your offensive tactical system is, 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 (laughs) is to score. We're going to score by getting penalties. Like that's supposed to be a luxury you get once every five or six matches, not.
1: That's a. It's a bold strategy.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it is a bold strategy, fellas. I will give you that.
1: Can I say this? I'm jealous of both of you guys because I was hoping to listen to Phil Bonnie and Stefan Freud, and I end up getting somebody, some other commentators. I'm like, what is this junk? What is this junk? I was hoping to see, uh, hear Phil and, and Stefan, and I got these other two guys, but um, they, were, they were okay, these guys that I listened to. But, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of you two. You guys got the, the good feed.
2: Oh, yeah, those two are – yeah, they got it. Got
1: it going on. So, Calagiri scores the goal of the penalty. Uh, it's 1-1 at that point. Um, I'm thinking at this point, Jack, that Schalke are going to steal points from... Steal, three, steal two points. No, all that one.
2: did was piss Dortmund off.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's true. And uh, and really, I, I thought Mendil had another chance to make up for what he's done or not done uh, his short time into the game. Uh, McKinney gave him a, a, a perfect through pass I thought and and Mindil just stumbles jack uh it just shows that he is not a striker and not ready for that kind of uh that kind of play and that kind of pressure
0: yeah yeah what, i mean what what else can you say about it? I don't want to beat this thing to death, but um shouldn't have been there, and I can't even really be upset with him for his performance because
2: it's no, not it's I mean, not no. his fault like he shouldn't no. he shouldn't have been put
0: in that position and
1: the I agree
2: with that, I agree with that it's not his fault.
1: So let's get back to Jaden Sancho. Uh, we talked about how he started hot. Ochipka oh, and Harit and the, and the gang—they all kind of like focused in on him and kind of shut him out for the rest of the game. An interesting thing happened in the 74th minute. I thought Jaden Sancho switched from the right wing to the left wing. Um, there was some poor defending on Sancho on the play. Um, I, I'm going to give Rudy the blame on on the defending on this one. But Sancho comes in one on one with Fairman and he slots home a, a, the, the goal coolly and calmly like a veteran does uh puts that away two one with the game winner but um i thought he did brilliant i don't know if it was his his decision to switch to switch on different sides of the pitch or what but um that that right that left wing or the wing that caligeria was operating on had been the weak point of the most of the game because he had been pushing up like jack said and uh he found a perfect opportunity with caligeria way up in the pitch and and rudy not backtracking uh he can he got a, a clean shot at goal
2: that that whole sequence was was absolute brilliance uh, on that left wing. You had the the individual move by Sancho. You had the give and go pass back to Sancho, and then he took the absolute perfect angle on Fairman to put it to slot it past him into the far right corner. On uh, I mean, that that was that was as great a response as you can get from the, the equalizers. Like like I said, all that did was piss Dortmund off. Well. Kind of half jokingly, but at the same time, yeah, actually kind of did because y- y- you just, you had the feeling that, okay, they had sort of resigned that they were going to win this thing 1-0 because Schalke was not going to be able to put one past them. And as soon as, and they, I don't feel like that Dortmund were, were necessarily giving up on a 2-0, but they just weren't pressing for it. And as soon as Schalke scored that goal, that lit a fire under them that, that, that you know, ultimately led to the, uh, the go-ahead 2-1.
1: Jack, uh when that goal first got scored, I was ready to blame Caligiri on it and well I guess he pinched up too far and then ball got turned over. Um ultimately it looked like, at least for me, in my perspective, that, that was Rudy the one who didn't backtrack or read Sancho's run correctly, leaving him so wide open.
0: I mean, yeah, first of all, credit to you know, Sancho. The, the kid is hot take, very talented at football. Um he, he's just I mean he, he's an absolute force, but um and, and as as great of a play as that was from him um it, it was an intelligent mean, it was an intelligent play like he plays it in and he immediately makes that run anticipating um you know h- the ability to to get in behind off that shoulder once the head's kind of turned to where he passed the ball to um it's it I means great play by him but kind of like the first goal and pretty I apologize if if you feel like I'm not giving you guys enough credit but like I thought that was just too easy um Rudy gets completely turned around and taken out of the play and then Nastasic is supposed to be sort of covering that far post angle of the shot, and for whatever reason, he like hesitates slightly. If you watch that, and kind of like almost jumps back out to cover a pass or something, and that pulls him out of position and gives Sancho the ability to go for that that far post. Um, and, and I honestly believe it. If Nastasic had kept his initial line, that would not have been available to him. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, it was just it was his. Very quick sequence that he just like passed it into the back, and then it was way too easy for me. And I mean, give him credit because he he's he's he burned us. But it just for a team of Schal- Schalke's defensive caliber, at least supposedly, this was another goal where I was just kind of like, really, like it. It I don't know. It it was like hot knife through butter, and I just I feel like you got to make him earn it a little bit more than that in a derby.
2: Well, guys, don't great teams make things look easy? Do you think that the 96 Bulls got you know pissed off because they made it look easy? Or do you think Juventus gets mad because they make things look easy? I mean, that's what they're supposed to do, right? They're great
1: teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is true. And I think, well, the funny thing is after this goal is that's when you see Kona come in the game for Chipka. Uh, too little, too late at that point. But, but Jack, I thought as soon as that goal went in, that kind of deflated the whole thing. And Shaka just looked, it looked shambolic really after that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, later in the game, it definitely seemed like that Dortmund started having a lot more pressure and more possession, and, and getting into dangerous, dangerous areas. There was this massive sort of lull to their play for a lot of the middle part of the game, where Schalke had a lot of possession. And um, it, yeah, w- once that went in, it really kind of flipped to the energy. I, I think, and you know, they were going for the kill, and Rafael Guerrero, I believe, had that shot off the post. Yeah, saw it was, it's the part post. Of the way earlier. And, that was eighty fifth.
2: Three 3-1 right there, three one. Yeah, and
0: then also Marco Royce almost had an identical. P- Play to the Sancho yep. goal, where Fairman made a, like a brilliant save and then actually a second save as well. And so there's yeah, there's a number of opportunities down down the line where it could have easily been been three, and we we uh, we we avoided that somehow. But uh, yeah, it really it really fell apart
1: there at the end. Hey, Critty, uh, talk about how the back line of Dortmund and I hate you know we're a Schalke because we can talk about Dortmund, but hey, Dortmund were the better team this one, so we kind of given got to give them their due. Uh, talk about the back line of, of Dortmund. They were frustrating uh, Schalke, uh, especially the forwards. Um, especially on the right wing side where, or I guess the Hakimi side and, and, uh, I guess it's Diallo. Um, Kenny, yes. Caligiri, none of those guys could ever get any passes together because those guys were just shutting them down, out muscling them, uh, out, outpacing them. These guys were just everywhere.
2: Guys, if you look back, this is such a turnaround from last year where you have a lineup of Hakimi who takes over for uh, Schmelzer, who is just completely over the hill. Long past his expiration date, uh, tries to go forward when he shouldn't. Doesn't have the speed or the power to match other uh, wingers, uh, you know, especially the faster ones. Just you know, past his prime, Hakimi takes over for him. Then you have uh, Diallo takes over for Toprock, right? And then you can spell him with Zagadu. These guys are physical. They're fast. They can. They've got great passing skills. Diallo, one of Diallo's. Number one attributes coming over from Mines was his ability to, to pass the ball coming out of the back line into the uh, uh, the, the number six position, which is either you know Vitzel or Delaney or somebody like that that can then move the ball up up the pitch to, to the uh, the wingers and the forwards. Uh, it's such a it's such a great system, and they have the exact personnel in order to execute that system. Then on the other side, you have a Kanji who was bought last winter. And uh, you know, on the other uh, to his to his le- uh, right would be uh, of course Piechek, uh, old reliable, and he looks like he's rejuvenated. I mean, obviously, you you know, you're excited to play with a team like this, but this reminds me, you know, even even more athletically gifted than the 2011-2012 uh, Dortmund side with Suputic and Hummels and 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 those guys. I mean. Socrates was a fighter, but that's all he was. He just he just liked to, to, to fight and tackle people and get red cards. That's all he liked to do. And you know, just it's just so such a one eighty, guys. When you think about where that defense was last year, uh, Fool's Gold the first seven match days, Gladbach lost six to one to them, but they exposed them so heavily. Uh, should have been six four, six five. Torgen could have easily had a hat trick that day. Um, just you know, as of at match day eight, Dortmund just concede goal after goal after goal. Then, of course, it all culminates with the 6-0 at the Allianz Arena last spring against Bayern. And you kind of see exactly what that defense was. Uh, just just shambles. And for them to rebuild in, essentially, I guess you could say, starting with last winter with the acquisition, uh, acquisition of Akanji, and into the summer with Diallo and then uh, the loan for Hakimi, Favre has done such an amazing job Uh, with not only rebuilding the back line, but also the tactical approach, you know, the uh, sort of a bend but don't break uh, mentality. Yeah, don't go too high, but also, you know, go high enough, Uh, be able to play the ball in the middle of the pitch for, uh, you know, Witzel or Delaney to pick it up and then move it forward. And that's kind of where, Dortmund, that, that, that's kind of how if you look at the distribution, that's that's kind of how they play. It's it's not hard to figure out, but because they have such talented individual players, it's kind of hard to stop. So, yeah, I mean, job well done. I mean, I, I have to give all the credit to, I guess, for right now, uh, Hans-Joachim Baske for getting these players. Of course, I'm sure half of them will be sold uh, come this summer. Uh, Jose Mourinho, if you're listening, $100 million right now for Sancho. Give it, take it, take it or leave it. Um, no. And you know they will. You know that Sancho's gone. Pulisic's already halfway to Liverpool. We all know that. Um, or some Premier League side. I mean, his contract's expiring and he's not going to resign. I would say for Dortmund fans who are enjoying this, like myself, enjoy it this year. Really take it in. Season's not over yet. Byron can easily do a 180 and win this thing for the seventh consecutive time. And, you know, that, that that's 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 how history has, has, you know, gone many, many times before. It's It's not over. It's a long season. But... For the time being, enjoy it because history tells us that Schalke and Dortmund do two things very well. They sell their best players to bigger clubs.
1: I think uh, Chelsea's going to end up picking up Pulisic, but uh, Jack, to, to wrap this derby up, uh, I want to end on one note. And it's, it's, well, last week I was ready to praise Rudy for getting better and getting better. I thought he was far from good in this game. He kept losing the ball, kept getting beat. Um and actually I got one of the I got a listener question here that I want to I want to read that I want you to weigh in and then I also want to hear what Critty's point of view is on this. All right, mm-hmm. this question this question comes from C- Colin Zucker. He asks, Hey guys, I'm a big fan. I'm from New York. Uh, I'm trying to stay positive, but it's getting extremely hard to watch Rudy play out there. To me, he just seems like wasted space. Never looks forward, and it seems like the team doesn't want to play through him anymore. I want to know what y'all y'all's thought are on this week's pod. Uh, I know you guys have been negative on this matter in the past, but this is getting ridiculous. Jack, um, let me let me go with you first and see has your has you has your feelings changed any gotten better any worse with Ruth Rudy over the weeks especially after this week this weekend's game.
0: No, it really hasn't. I mean, as you mentioned, you and I have kind of gone after him a little bit the last few weeks, and uh, it seemed after this derby that Schalke Twitter collectively kind of turned on him as well, and I was seeing a lot of comments about him. Yeah, uh, that were negative. Whereas previously, you know, he wasn't a guy that really came up all that often. But, um, you know, you know, I'll, I'll kind of say the same things I said before. But, you know, this was a this was a big money signing for us, and a guy that came in with a very good reputation. Um, and, and you really just expected him to come in and, and just boss the midfield, and he has not done that at all. Um, he is walking through matches where he, he I mean, he's he's barely affecting anything. Um, a lot of his passes are horizontal or backwards passes like he, he'll pick up the ball and he'll help he'll have space to turn and you know uh you know take a take a few steps and, and, and push up a little bit um and, and kind of change the shape of the defense and, and he'll he won't even look to do that i mean if you go back and watch this game in particular there's a number of opportunities he, he, he'll he receive the ball and he'll have five ten yards of space he'll Have a little pocket in front of him where he can turn and run into and he won't even look to do that he'll just he'll just pick up the ball and then go horizontal, go back to one of his center backs. It's really frustrating. He's he's not contributing to our buildup really almost at all. I mean, I, I guess he kind of grew into the game a little bit and got a little bit better as it went on. And I'm sure if you look at his, like, pass completion statistics or anything, he'll probably have a decent pass per, uh, completion percentage and, and things like that. But I think that really would probably uh, – those stats probably don't really live up to what his actual performances are. And um Just super. Yeah, just really disappointing. I expected so much more of him. And and I'm I'm honestly surprised he's continuing to get starts at this point because, yeah, he's been bad for a while. And I I would almost rather I I don't know exactly what the answer is, but uh, (laughs) this this might be a little bit too far. But I mean, Johannes Geis is still around, right? I mean, I would. I, I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't gotten a look at, or maybe, you know, put McKenney back there. Or some, I, change it up. I, I just I cannot keep having Sebastian Rudy play this deep line midfield role for us. He's, he's not doing anything with it. Critty, from an outsider's perspective, I don't know how much of a chance you've had to watch him this season or if you were even paying attention to him in this game, but w- what was your impression of him?
2: Okay. So I did pay attention to him in this game, but I haven't watched a ton of Schalke this year, uh, mostly just Dortmund. Uh, but let me say this. I have I've been a, I've liked Rudy since he was at Hoffenheim. I thought that uh, Bayern got a steal, and I thought he's a fantastic player on the way up. And I thought this was a fantastic signing for Schalke. I, I really, really, uh, as far as a rival can go, I guess you could say. I was excited for you guys to get him because I mean, you know, I think a good I think a, I've said this all along. If you want know, people want to go back and listen, I've said a strong Schalke is good for the Bundesliga. I've always said that. I thought Rudy was a great addition to this club. However, that being said, just on history, if we want to talk about my, you know, Dortmund players, when Bayern buys your players from you, there's a reason for that. But when they sell them very quickly thereafter, there's a reason for that too. Götze is back in Dortmund for a reason. And Rudy is apparently at Schalke for a reason. They couldn't cut it at Bayern. And, you know, when you don't make it there, if you look at a lot of places, you know, uh, Sebastian Rode is another example. He left Bayern with uh, he came to Bayern from Frankfurt, had big, big uh, expectations there, uh, was quickly sold to Dortmund uh, for pennies of the dollar and hasn't been heard from again. So, you know, having not seen a lot of Rudy this year, I do see the criticisms. I've heard on other podcasts how people have called him out for being very inefficient, for being looking like he's out, uh, you know, kind of clueless out there in the pitch. I'm very disappointed and kind of surprised by this because that's exactly, in Hoffenheim, he was getting to become a very top-end Bundesliga player. And to see this kind of regression in that short amount of time, I have to say it has to be mental, if nothing else. I I don't see, he hasn't had a, a very big, long injury history. There's nothing really preventing him from physically being able to go out there and perform. And my only thing is that, you know, going into that Bayern system, Something happens with your head. And, you know, you he, he he got out of the rotation there and, you know, they were willing to sell him off. He comes to Schalke. And I think that he had a sort of a new lease on life. But if you don't make it to Schalke after coming from Bayern, that's pretty much that's it for you. That's the curtain call. I mean, where, where do you go from there? And I think that he's having a lot of Chris, trouble Crystal probably. Palace is where you go from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh Crystal Palace, yeah. That's a good that's a good landing spot. He can join his uh, his buddy up there. Yeah, that's, that's why you're right. Well, you're referencing that uh, uh uh oh god, I forget his name now. You Max Meyer. Was, Meyer. Yeah, Max Meyer, my boy, the number 6.
1: Critty, so you'll get this Criti, you'll get this reference. Uh, Rudy's playing a lot like Montalivo for Mil- for Milan, or he did. Ooh, um, not making yeah. any forward passes. Everything's, re- everything's in, in the back. Nothing, it's nothing. It's really pathetic play and he needs to do a lot better. Um, you never want to be mentioned with Montalivo in any, in any sentence. So, uh, yeah, his, his gameplay is just not good enough and, I'm ready to see somebody else play that number six position, or change the change the formation so that uh, you can have other attacking options in there, like Konoplyanka. But uh, yeah, I I've seen enough. I think.
2: Yeah, and that's and that's, and that's. I, I just want to see if there's something still left in the tank with him. But like you guys said, uh, a lot of your twitters turned on him, and a lot. Of, you know, I I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to get, but I, I do think that um, if if anything, I think it's just mental. I think that he's got to get out of his own head.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. Um so, you know, we we talk about this derby and it, it seems to just take over this whole podcast as it should. It, it is the biggest game by far. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I I think, you know, I wanted to talk Champions League and Augsburg, but it's the podcast the, the derby just trumped all that. So I think we're going to wrap it up real quick. Uh, well, you guys console. are
2: advancing, right? I mean, it's already you guys are guaranteed to advance, right?
1: Yeah, so the locomotive match really is not yeah, a big
2: thing. Yeah, uh, you guys, we'll talk about Champions League in February. <laughs>
1: <laughs> real quick, Jack, uh, you think Shaka rebounds against Augsburg?
0: I hope so, dude. I don't, I don't know what to expect from this team at the moment, but I, I really hope so. I mean...
1: That's at one point, at one point <laughs> back behind Schalke, right we now.
0: we got we have th- we have three matches before Christmas. All of them are against um three Bundesliga matches, I should say, before Christmas. All of them are against teams that are in the bottom half of the table. We have an opportunity here to make up some ground and end this end the Hinrunde on a on a positive note. And uh, I just I, I really hope we take advantage of that opportunity.
1: Kriti, can you do you think uh, Schalke can rebound uh, after the performance against Dortmund?
2: I think they absolutely can. Um, I think that they'll. I think Augsburg is very struggling too, guys. Right now, uh, they've taken a a, a very big downward turn here in the last two months. I think Schalke win their match against Augsburg two to one. Uh, two penalties uh, scored <laughs> by uh Bentilev. Bentilev. <laughs> Yeah, two penalties scored by Schalke to Augsburg's one open play <laughs> goal. Schalke mm-hmm. get the win. No, I think Schalke absolutely can beat Augsburg. Yes
1: shaka <laughs> fans what did you make of the match against dortmund uh let us hear about it at so4 underscore podcast on twitter i think on that note we will wrap this one up um we want to thank shaka Foxhocker, uh belfast telegraph com, front office sports for tidbits on our podcast today um special shout out to nbc for nashville as well um, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you sign up for the Shaka US newsletter by simply going to the team website, entering your email address, and you'll receive them monthly. Uh, first, to our guest, uh, our wonderful guest, Critty Smith. Um, this is your time to plug away and uh, let, let, uh, let our followers know where they can find you.
2: Uh, well, they can follow me on at Kriti Smith on Twitter. Um, for those of you who are looking for a lot of Bundesliga stuff for me right now, I'm actually very much engaged in Serie A as I'm on the uh, Studio Inter podcast, as well as the uh, creator and author of the Inter Legends series. That's Inter Milan. Uh, you shall fans will know about them. You've beat them quite a few times in European competition. Um, and, yeah, so that's, yeah, if you go to SemperInter.com, you can find all the Inter Legends articles there, as well as on Twitter. And, yeah, Studio Inter with uh, our good friend uh, Nima. Uh, yeah, I'll be talking Inter Milan uh, this week, uh, talking Champions League as well, and, of course, the match the Derby Italia
1: against uh, Juventus. Very good, very good. Uh, to my co-host, Jack, uh, where can our followers find you on on Twitter?
0: J.M. Mangan on Twitter, J-M-M-A-N-G-A-N. Um, feel free to pop on there and check out the pictures of me hanging out with Erwin in Columbus this past weekend. Nice to uh, meet him for the first time. So, uh, yeah, send us your listener questions, and yeah. Uh, Hopefully we have some uh, some better things to talk about in the upcoming weeks here before the uh, Winter Pazzo.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Critty, thank you again for coming on. Uh, we're glad to have you back on again. Absolutely, guys.
2: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Once again, I am your host, Richard Carmen, and you can find me on Twitter as well at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Until the next pod comes, my friends, stay ready, and we'll be with you soon. Shoos.